much. Uh, if you want to join us uh, in your Bible, you'll see the verses on the screen, but I want to invite you, if you want to join us in Romans chapter 12, that way you can refer quickly uh, when the verses are not on the screen, because I hope the Lord is throughout the message popping things into your mind that will cause you to need to look at the text and make the connections uh, beyond, far beyond what I will say uh, this morning, uh, so we want the Lord to be the speaker and even using someone like me this morning to do that and beyond what I say. Romans chapter 12, I'll read our text in a moment, uh, but to begin with, uh, say you should see on your handout, this is part two of last week's message, really debated about should we make this three parts, uh, we'll not do that. Uh, next week we'll have a, a guest speaker with us who will be pointing our attention to worldwide missions and he'll be here uh, with Frontline Missions International. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Brother John Hutchison, you're going to want to be here uh, for, for that. So is that, uh, is that our technology beeping? And uh, So we'll see. Chris is on the spot working on that. All right. So since this is part two of last week's message, here's what we noticed. One of Paul's absolute favorite analogies for you as a Christian is that you are individually a part of a larger body called the body of Christ, okay? So that's how we want to think of ourselves. Yes, we're sheep and we're children and we're, we're, we're these other things. We're the bride of Christ and we're a temple, so all of that. But in your mind today, here's the focus. You're part of a larger body and you'll see that in our text uh, and we'll read it in just a moment. But because of that, you have been given spiritual gifts. So that's kind of the context of today. If you can honestly say, I have put my faith and trust in Jesus alone, I know I'm a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of me, catch this, you have been given spiritual gifts. So not in your notes, but a review of last week, what is a spiritual gift? It is not natural ability, it's not merely natural ability, oh, I'm good at that or I'm good at that. A spiritual gift is a spiritual enablement that was given to you not so much at birth, but at your spiritual birth, at the moment of salvation. So what is it? It's where God pours in His graces, which are gifts, or literally the idea of God pours blessings into you, not to stop in you. Here's the idea, to flow through you out to other people within the body. So we have to get that. How do we use those gifts? By faith. So you've been given that. And now it's to go through you, out to other people, blessing them. Just keep the blessings going through you to them. And then you're receiving blessings from all the other parts of the body of Christ, individual members. So with that in mind, let's read verses 3 through 8 again. And this will be our text again today. Today we'll focus more on verses 6, six through 8, whereas last week was mainly 3 through 5. So look at verse 3. Paul says, for by the grace given to me, so by the gift of God given to me, he's particularly called an apostle. Talk a little bit about that in a moment. Since as, he is an apostle, as an apostle, he says, by the grace given to me, Paul didn't ask to be a, an apostle. He was appointed for the foundation of the world. It was known Paul was going to be an apostle. He was called on the Damascus Road by the grace. Paul says, given to me. So this is authoritative. I say to everyone 
among you. This is all the saved people in Rome. It applies to all the saved people at Graceview and who may be hearing this later. I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So just by reading this, if we're internalizing this, we're already getting preached to. We're not just being informed, we're getting preached to just by reading the text. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But he says, I'm calling you to this. Think with sober judgment. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So we pointed out last week, God assigns the measure of faith that each one gets. And it varies. So not everybody has the same amount of faith. So he says, think with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Here's what's implied. To each of you. That's how we should think. And here comes our analogy. This is just talking about your body. For as in one body, your body, we have many members, many parts. And the members do not all have the same function. That's so self-evident. My elbow does not do the same thing as my eyebrow. Right? My eyelid does not do the same thing as my big toe. My spleen is not doing the same thing as my lungs. And on down the line. Each blood vessel, all of it's different. Nerves. Okay? Skin. Jawbone. Pointer finger. Thumb. You name it. It's all different. It all has a different function. Paul says, I'm saying that for this reason. Verse 5. So we, Christians, though many, are one body in Christ. And individually, individually, members one of another. Watch. We're connected to Christ. And since we're all connected to Christ, we're one body connected to each other. Having gifts. Not hoping to have. Someday, some way we'll get. No. Having gifts that differ according to the grace. Who made this decision? Who would get what gifts? Verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. That's God's decision. Let us use them. If prophecy, maybe that's your gift, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, maybe that's your gift. In his exhortation. The one who contributes. In generosity. The one who leads. Maybe that's your gift. You're a leader. God's wired you that way. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy. With cheerfulness. We noted three, two things last week. This is a three part sermon. Today's going to be the third point. I'm going to do a quick review. Number one. We saw that we should be aware of our gifts. We should be aware. So listen, Christian, we're talking to you right now. Be aware of your gifts. We made quick three, three quick points under that. The points under that were this. Do not discount your gifts. So be aware of your gifts as a Christian. Do not discount. Do not deny. You'll see 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 7. To each, hear the Bible, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So if you're a Christian, you should say the Bible is true. The Holy Spirit has given me a manifestation. This is chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. It's a chapter on spiritual gifts. I've been given spiritual gifts for the common good. I'm in that each. So don't discount your gifts. Number two, do not be proud of your gifts. Please hear me right here. This is important. These seven things I'm going to go over in a few minutes 
All of them are opportunities for people to be proud. Each one of us can be proud of our gifts. The one who has a speaking gift, they can get real proud of their gift. The one who is able to contribute and give with resources. If you're not careful, you can be proud of how much or how often or to what degree you give. Even the one who thinks, well, there's no pride in the service person. Oh, no, it shows up in a different form. Here's how it comes in. Nobody's thanking me. Nobody's noticing me. They're doing theirs and they get seen and they get, you know, talked about and, and thanked and, and praised. I'm over here turning away. Careful, that is pride that's demanding. Notice me. Don't think more highly than you ought to think. Do not be proud. It's a gift. And also we notice this thought under this aware. This is important. Discover, please do this, discover your spiritual gift. How? We talked about last week, by using it. As you get busy serving the body of Christ, not, this is important, not, all day long today as I'm talking about this, I'm not going to be talking all day long, but as I'm preaching this message today, I'm not talking just about the times when Grace View meets together. It is here, but it's also when we, when we serve the body of Christ away from here, okay? Get busy serving the body of Christ, people who are Christians, and along the way, look for two things this might help you discover. You say, well, I'm going to go online and take a test. That may help you. But just taking a test and kind of getting some good ideas and kind of think, I think I know which one of these I am, that's not enough. Get busy serving the body of Christ here and abroad, and in the process, Chip Ingram taught us, look for two things. Number one, what is fulfilling to you? Like, I've I've done five or six things, and boy, those two right there, and they're kind of alike, they really give me fulfillment. That's a clue. That might be your spiritual gift. Or you're saying, not proud, just being honest, sober judgment. God is blessing that. The body of Christ is being blessed when I do that. Or maybe someone even comes up and says, hey, man, that was a real help. That was a blessing when you did that. That's a clue. Fruitfulness. Look for that. All right, second thing we notice. Be accepting of your gifts. I confess to you last week, I have had times in my life I would be disgruntled and envious and I'm just looking at everyone else. I, I know my personality and its flaws and its weaknesses and I look at others and I'm like, Lord, why didn't you make me like them? Be careful. God did not make a mistake when he made you or me. He made us on his purpose. Every gift is vital. Every part. I really need the elbow and I need the big toe. Okay? And I really need... The lungs and the spleen and the liver and all those things are really hidden the most. So today's message is the third point. Not only be aware of your gift and be accepting of your gifts, but be active in using your gifts. That's today's message. Be active in using your gifts. Before we look at this, would you go back to verse 1? I want us to see something that must precede us using our gifts. Grace, if you listen, I hope by the end of this message you feel a burden and a weight and a desire. I need to really use my gift. Or if you've been using your gift, I've got to keep using my spiritual gifts. Lord, Lord, just keep opening opportunities. And if you're not using them, Lord, open doors of opportunity. I want to serve. That's important, but something precedes that, and it's verse number one. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, which means brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, Because God who hates sin gave his son to take away sin. And Jesus who is the son, who is eternal spirit, God the son, became flesh, rolled up his sleeves in the garden of Gethsemane, became sin, took on sin that opposes his nature. Why? So that I get to go to heaven. Paul says, based on that, by the mercies of God, for 11 chapters, I've called you to present your bodies. 
like once and for all as a living sacrifice, holy. I'm not going to be like everybody else. God, I want to be set apart different, holy. God, I want to be acceptable to you. That's my spiritual worship. That's my reasonable service. I will contend if a person has given their body to the Lord, you will be found faithful using your gifts once you know what they are and where to use them. You will be faithful. But this comes first. It's all the rest of the message. I'm going to be imploring you. Use your gifts. Use your gifts. But please hear this. Something comes before using your gifts. If you want to write it down, it's this. Private worship. Private surrender to the Lord must precede public service for God. So I'll say it again. Private worship and surrender to God must precede public service for God. In fact, I'm going to offer my two cents. Here's my two cents. Opinion. The more public your service is, the more urgent it is, necessary and demanding that you spend time worshiping and surrendering before you use that gift publicly. I hope I don't get up here on a Sunday morning just kind of winging it and relying on, on, on some ability I think I may have, right? I hope none of our teachers just go into their class just kind of winging it today and you haven't really surrendered your body, your will. Lord, use me. I'm surrendering to you. I want this to be an act of worship. I hope no one up here playing or singing just gets up here and starts thinking, hey, as long as we sound good, it'll be enough. No, surrender, worship privately before you ever go out publicly. If you haven't done that, then don't do it. Get off the stage, get out of the classroom, and just confess. Guys, I'm not ready today. I'm sorry. Could you lead the class? I haven't surrendered today. And let's hope I do that if I come in here one day about half-cocked and not ready. And like, you know what, guys? Hey, Chris, man, just make a singspiration today because I haven't spent time in private with God. That's not what we need. Private worship and surrender before public service. Now, would you look at verse 6 through 8? Our message today is on, so I want us to use our gifts, but something precedes it. So verse 6 through 8 has some strange sentence structure. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Watch these partial sentences. Watch these partial sentences. This is strange. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches Hey, really watch this. You grammarians, watch this. What's missing in this sentence? The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts. Hey, if that's your gift, in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. What part of speech is missing? The, nobody's bold enough to say it. You're thinking it. Well, you have subjects and objects. We're missing a verb. Are we though? I want to propose to you the verb is implied. The verb is implied. In fact, it was literally implied and supplied by the translators, but it's implied to be repeated over and over. Do you see the verb? It's right before the list. Look at verse 6 again. Having gifts. Grace, if you hear this, Christian, hear this. Having gifts, you have them. And they differ according to the grace given to us. We didn't decide what gift we, we were given. Let us use them. There's the verb. Use it. If prophecy, again, here's, here's what's implied. If prophecy is your gift, use the gift of prophecy in proportion to our faith. If serving is your gift, use the gift of serving in our service. Use it. If teaching is your gift, 
use it. If exhorting is your gift, use it. If giving is your gift, use it. Leading, acts of mercy, use it, use it. Don't just sit there and, and hold it back and starve the body because you're not using your gifts. Use it. The verb is implied to be repeated. Can I tell you two prevalent thoughts among Christians? And by the way, I, I believe there's many truly saved people. Here's what they think. There's a new thought and there's an old thought. The, the old one's been around for millennia. Here's the new thought. It goes like this. This is Christians. You know, as long as I listen to the service online, or as long as I watch someone's service on my computer, I've done the church thing. You ever met someone who honestly thinks that? Hey, as long as I, you know, I'm out doing my thing, I've, I've, I've built my schedule where I work all the time, or I play all the time, but that's okay. I listen to Christian music during the week, and I, I download some good teaching and preach. I'm doing the, the church thing. I can serve God just as good, and I, I get that. You haven't done the church thing, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I listen to it. Now, here's the second one. And by the way, the second group would really get on the case of the first group because here's what they think. If I come, run through the shower and get dressed and come to the service and sit in the service and sing a couple songs and listen to the preaching in person, then I've done the church thing and God is satisfied. So here's one. Hey, I love technology. Technology is great for those who are truly homebound and just have to miss every now and then. It's great. But what's the problem with both of those? They're wrong thinking. You say, why? Because both are ignoring the call to serve the body. Just by pressing play out there and listening to somebody in California and over in Wisconsin and down in Atlanta does not mean you're serving the body of Christ. You say, well, what if I actually come here? Right, you come and receive but what are you doing to serve the body of Christ? You're like, well, I'm doing better than them. Okay, they're, they're not the goal. Are you fulfilling what you've been called and gifted to do? Paul gives us seven ways in which we serve the body of Christ. Chip Ingram, as he goes over these in the spiritual gifts study that we did about a year ago on Wednesday nights, asks us to do this. So as we go over this list, he says, ask yourself, yes, no, maybe. Is this your gift? Yes. Wow, that is. Or, no, that's not, that was not mine. Or, maybe, maybe. So let's look at these seven things. Verse number six. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. Prophecy. Let me go and say this. I'm going to spend more than twice the amount of time on prophecy than I will any of the other gifts. In other words, no other two gifts am I going to spend as much time on as I'm going to spend on this one. You say, Why? It's not so much that this is my main gift. Here's the reason. It's probably the most controversial. It is the most controversial. And it's the most confusing on the list. What is this gift of prophecy? So I say, you say, Jeff, is, is there a gift of prophecy today? Well, hang on and listen. All right. Paul says, if your gift is the gift of prophecy, he's talking to Romans. He hadn't even been there. Apparently, Peter has been there, but he's not still there. And that's why Paul's having to write this letter so he's writing to a group of Christians and saying, implying some of you are going to have the gift of prophecy. So what is prophecy? Probably most of you sitting there right now, here's what you're thinking. Prophecy means to predict things in the future. It can mean to foretell the future. The gift of prophecy can mean to foretell 
and predict the future. But it can also mean to foretell truth. Yes, it can be foretelling, but it, I'm going to say it is more often foretelling. Go read the prophets. And what you'll find is sometimes they make predictive statements about what's going to happen at the end times or in the future. But more than anything, they're talking to the people, whether it be Israel or Judah, right now, this is what's going on. Here's truths about God. Right now, this is what's going on. Listen to John Stott's quote. He writes the following about prophecy. Listen, this is a little complicated here. So more than making predictions, it is proclaiming revealed truth. Now, Stott writes the following. In two lists of charismata, which are just it's a word for gifts. So there's like four or five times these gifts are listed in the New Testament. He says in two lists of charismata, watch, prophets are placed second, are placed in a secondary position to the apostles. So this is important. I'm going to build our case here on this. He's noted prophets are put in a secondary position below apostles. He continues. Prophets are placed in a secondary position to the apostles, suggesting there was a lesser prophetic gift subsidiary to that of biblical prophets. Let me explain this. Watch. Apostles. It's implied they have the gift of prophecy. They hear the message from God. They speak, most of the New Testament is written by apostles. So they certainly have it. So then who's this second group, the second place almost, the second tier group that is not the apostles? Again, watch what he says. This suggests there's a lesser prophetic gift, subsidiary to that of biblical prophets. So here's his conclusion. Words spoken by such prophets in the second tier were to be weighed and tested. Say it again. Words spoken by that second group, the prophets. So you have apostles, prophets. In, in, in Ephesians, apostles are listed first, prophets listed second. In Corinthians, one of the lists, apostles first, prophets second. He writes, words spoken by such prophets were to be weighed and tested, whereas the apostles were to be believed and obeyed. And no sifting process was deemed appropriate or necessary in their case. So if someone's an apostle, you know they're one of the twelve, or Paul the, Paul the apostle who meets Christ on the road to Damascus and is called to be the, 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 the apostle, the one born out of dry ground late in time, the last one to see the Lord, the last one to be called then we don't question and test and think about, is that true? No, we just obey and believe. They're authoritative. He says, but the others are to be tested and weighed. Look, if you would, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I think it'll be on the screen, verse number 29. Look what the Bible says. By the way, I looked at this again this week. And you can go home and read this for yourself. I do not think this is saying what has to be done. I think there was such chaos going on in Corinth that Paul was trying to bring order and saying this should like be the maximum or the most of what happens. Here's what he says. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. Why do they need to weigh? These guys have to get prophecy. First John chapter 4, look at verse number 1. John writes to the church, Beloved, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. 
Apostles, do what they say, obey, believe, go all in, they're authoritative. What about someone who says, I have a message from God. Test it, weigh it, let's see. See if it's true. Use this renewed mind that we learned of in verse number two to evaluate. So here's our question. Jeff, do you think the gift of prophecy exists today? And if so, in what form? I'm going to offer at least two forms I believe it exists. They're very similar and it's a subtle distinction. Here's the first group. I'm going to offer this to you. By the way, I'm not saying this is definitive, definite. This is what I believe. Prophecy does exist. I do believe that some people can receive very timely and powerful words. A word. You may hear it that day. The Lord's given me a word. I do believe people can receive very timely and powerful words from the Lord that are specific to their day or specific to that occasion. I do believe it happens. Guys, it may be a sentence. It may be a conversation. It may be an individual. Hey, come here. You know, the Lord has just told me something. You say, do you believe that really happens? I do. I believe there's a lot of it fake that goes on and a lot of people claiming to do that that aren't. And we'll see how we would know that. But I do believe the Lord does that. It may be for a group of people. It could be a devotion. It could be for a class. Guys, it could be as big as a vision for 2018. The Lord has given me a word. And it's timely and it's powerful. And it fits and it's true. You say, you really believe that happens? Yes, but write this down. It must never, that supposed gift must never be seen as outranking or being allowed to contradict the Scripture. If it contradicts the Scripture, then there's clear That's a false prophecy. That is not true. That is untrue. The prophecies of Scripture are 100%. Yes, there are people going around and saying, God's told me something about you, and it doesn't happen. Okay? They had too much pizza. That's all that was. So you say, so what do you think? You mentioned two. So I think that can happen. And this other is very similar to it, so I'm going to throw it out. I believe it is the more prominent meaning of this. It's my opinion. It's this. Since we have a completed word of God, we have a completed copy of the scripture, I believe this gift of prophecy mainly refers to the proclamation of God's revealed message with the authority that comes from knowing this came from God. So watch this. I believe the gift of prophecy more times than not is when a person is in the word of God and God makes it plain and gives that person a message based on the scripture and because of that, They have like authority. I mean, this thing grips them. It owns them. They own it. Watch. These are not passionless little secondhand stories. I read a guy's message or I downloaded a guy's message and I'm going to get up and recite some truth. That's not the gift of prophecy. This is when someone is maybe trying to have private time in the Word of God, but their time in the Word of God and study is not like yours because their personal time... Inevitably, whether it be is once or twice or often, it ends up in them having to go out and declare things publicly, and it's like corporate application. Over here, I'm reading privately, but now I'm supposed to be giving this corporate application because God singled me out and gave me a message that's based on the completed Word of God. I've said it this way before. The apostles, the New Testament prophets, which we have the word of God. Watch. How did they receive this? Immediately from God. Jesus taught them. The Holy Spirit says directly. They write it down. It becomes the authoritative word of God. But a person in our day, that's not what happens. Often it's this. Immediately. Catch the difference. New Testament times, 
immediately. It becomes authoritative. Write it down. That's one of the books of the New Testament. Person in our day, often it's this. I'm reading what they wrote, or this person reads what they wrote, and immediately, through the Scripture, God, through the Scripture, gives them a message. It's almost as though God grabs them by the face and says, you know what you just read? Yes, Lord. Based on that, you go tell people they need to start doing this and stop doing that. And it's filled. Here's, here's a clue. They're all about application. They're all about change. They're all about impact. What are we going to do based on this teaching? It grabs them. Now, I don't want to go into this. I really almost didn't, but I thought I'll touch it. Maybe another time it'll come up more. I could really get bogged down here. So here, here's the million-dollar question. Jeff, is this only for men? And we've had enough controversy around here and a lot of private conversations over the last three chapters of Romans. So I'm not looking to stir that up, but I'm going to give you what is my opinion, but it's my strong opinion. I believe I have Bible to back this up. By the way, did I give you the key word of what I believe prophecy and its main setting is? It is preaching. Preaching. So, Jeff, do you believe this is just men or could it include women? I have no doubt in my mind that it includes women. So where do you get that from? Acts chapter number 2, the events of Pentecost are so confusing to people that Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel that the Holy Spirit would be poured out in such a way that your sons and your daughters would prophesy. Acts chapter number 8 or 9, I forget which it is, Philip has four virgin daughters who have the gift of prophecy. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, Paul addresses the women about their praying and their prophesying. He doesn't say the women don't have the gift. They, have, they can have the gift. Some have the gift to prophesy. You say, so do you believe in women preachers? Absolutely. Some, of, some women have the gift of preaching, prophesying, declaring truth. They're in their Bible. It's like, God, we've got to change our lives. She said, to Jeff, you believe in women pastors? Absolutely, I do not believe in women pastors. He said, well, you just said, no, no, no. 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy are very clear that women can have the gift, but they're not to use that gift to lord it over men. So I believe that restricts. This is my opinion, but it's a strong opinion. I believe I have a Bible for this. It is to restrict their use, not to use that gift in the mixed company. So there is a time and a place. It's just not in the mixed company, which would exclude them from the office of being pastor. I don't know why God did it that way. I have my suspicions. Go into that another day. Verse 6, last thing on this. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy. Man, the Lord just grips you, grabs you by the face. Hey, go tell them. Application, life change. Use it in proportion to our faith. What in the world does that mean? I believe this phrase, use in proportion to our faith, could mean one of two things. I'll throw them out quickly. It could mean that a person needs to speak according to the personal insight they've been given. I'm going to flip over. I think you'll see this on the screen. So it's 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. I want to find it. Here we go. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 15. Watch what Peter writes. Peter says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. He's talking about two things here. In times, when's it coming? When's it coming? The Lord's coming back. We're getting ready to leave this world. Is it real? Oh, it's absolutely real. But count the Lord's patience. He's holding off as salvation. People are getting saved while God's waiting for this to happen. Count the, So he's talking about in times and salvation. 
Count the patience of our Lord as salvation just as our beloved brother Paul. Some people try to say Paul and, and Peter were rivals. No, they're not. Look at Peter's tone. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. As he does in all his letters about the end times and a whole lot about salvation. As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. Watch what Peter says. There are some things in them, in those letters, that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Did you catch what Peter just said? He's confessing. Paul knows stuff about the end times and about salvation. I don't know. You think, what do you think he's talking about there, Jeff? I think he's probably talking about some of the stuff in Romans 9, 10, and 11. And, Paul, and Peter's just saying, God's just shown him things. So then, Peter, we don't need your message. No, each one needs to preach according to the proportion of faith that God has given him. Whatever God has shown you, that's your message. But I think in addition to that, so I'm in 2 Peter. I'm going to flip over to Jude, just a couple of pages, two or three pages away. Here's what I believe the main thing is meant by prophesy according to the proportion of our faith, which really the article there is the faith. Watch what Jude writes. This is the Lord's half-brother, verse 3. There are no chapters. Jude, verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. He's confessing, I thought I was going to write an epistle, a letter to you about how wonderful salvation is. But God has another plan. Watch. Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The faith. So this is at the end, getting toward the end of the New Testament. The New Testament is being written. And, and Jude is saying, people are taking the revealed faith through the apostles and they're watering it down and all these false teachers are coming and he's going to expose them. And he's saying, fight for the faith. You know what, Peter, you know what Paul's saying in Romans chapter 12? Let your prophesying be according to the faith. Let it be in accord with the revealed word of God. Translation. Here's the conclusion. Last thing on this. If someone says, God's given me a word for the people of our day, you better be sure that your message and your application, let me tell you how to think, let me tell you how to believe, let me tell you how to live, let me tell you what to do. You need to, and they start setting all these standards, you better make sure that your message matches the word of God. If it doesn't, be quiet. That's your thoughts and not God's. Back to Romans 12. I told you it's been a long time on that. Verse number 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith or the faith. Use it. God's given you a message, declare it. Push for impact. It consumes you. You don't just read and recite truth. You're pat you want change. So verse seven. If service. Yes, no, maybe. Is this your gift? If it is service, use your gift in our serving. Use your gift in serving. What is this? I believe the gift of service is all of the gifts. Everybody who's using their gift is serving. But I believe the gift of, of, of service here has the idea of hands-on ministry. This is a beautiful gift. Can I say it this way? God is really good and very loving to churches when he gives local bodies of Christ people who have the gift of serving often in hands-on ways. They're skilled and they're willing to use their gifts in service. It's extremely important. Let me say what I said last week. Watch. 
There are speaking gifts. I've looked at the group of seven here. Three of them are clearly speaking. Three of them are clearly serving gifts. And if we were to look at the leader, one who leads, they kind of speak and serve both. So it's kind of like right down the middle. They're speaking gifts and they're serving gifts. Watch. Everybody needs to be speaking. No, no, I'm just a servant. No, no. You need to learn how to share your faith. Everybody speaks. And those of you who have the gift of speaking, you're not too good to serve. Everybody speaks, everybody serves, but some have a gift in speaking, others have a gift in serving. You're wired for it. You're built for it. You more than don't mind doing it, you like doing it. I'm going to fly through some examples. The gift of service just at church here may look like something like this. Working in ways that pertain to our buildings, our grounds construction, electrical, plumbing, shoveling, trimming, you name it, all types of things. A couple more I'll mention at the end. Screens. It dawned on me about a year and a half ago, I never did screens with my messages. It adds two hours to my preparation. But the good thing is it makes me hit a deadline by Thursday because normally I'd still be adding to the message all the way up until Saturday night. So it's a good thing. All right. Well, those don't just pop up there. Somebody works on them. A couple of ladies, one in the office, and that would be Renee, and then Joyce comes in on Friday and again on Sunday making sure these things happen. Bulletins are important. Listen to what I'm saying here. Serving, lights, sound. It's important. Security. Can I just say this real quick? These people have a different experience on Sunday than you do. You know that? So while you're singing and kind of like warming up, warming up, they're trying, but they're click and click. And, oh, man, he missed the whole slide. I wonder if he meant to do it. Anyway, let's jump up here. They're on duty. And you're just like, hey, this is great. I'm just chilling out. Somebody is serving. Security. Somebody is enjoying the service, but they're also well aware of what's going on around them at the same time. You say, well, we got security here? Oh, yeah, who are they? I'm not telling you. I ain't telling you. They're here. They're on duty. Decoration, setting up rooms, cooking, serving food. God's good when he gives us these people. Greeting, ushering, cleaning, accounting, technology, automotive. If this is you and a hundred other things, use your gifts. Use your gifts. So we're taking like 23 guys up the mountain on Thursday and Friday. Thought we were going to do one thing for our breakfast. Brandon, my enjoy torture because it would be torture to me to try to cook but he's like I want to cook I want to cook I like cooking I'm going to get up early anyway can't sleep I know me no matter what time I go to bed I'm going to be up this time I want to cook so he likes to serve that's the way of serving you know what I think will happen by the way if this strikes a nerve with you talk to Brandon you're like man I wouldn't mind helping in the kitchen a little bit what are we going to do we're going to sling around some bacon and some sausage and throw in some biscuits and all that like yeah I'm not going to be doing that. You don't want me doing that. You want good food. So if that's you, help. Jump in and say, hey, count me in. Friday morning, count me in. Saturday morning, or I can help on one of those. Do you know we need some painting done around here? We've got like a classroom right here, and then eventually we're going to be needing some, this hallway, this fellowship hall still needs some of that. There's still four boxes of cabinets that need to be built. Is that right? Need to be assembled. We've got four cabinets for our children's, men, uh, children's church room. They've been there about two weeks, and eventually, I guess Chris will get to it, unless somebody says, I can do that. I can do that. Can I come by? Coordinate that, right? Cleaning, 
You're like, no, 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 we got like maintenance, right, guys? There's maintenance, normal maintenance. But y'all know as well as I do, every now and then, you got to come in and do a deeper cleaning. You say, I, I'm good at that. I have a window of time. I haven't talked to him, but could you see Mike and say, hey, what do I need to do? Uh, can I just like spend two or three hours extra in the, in the student center? He's not going to say, no. I just want to really, I just want to go in there and do some, some specific things. Okay, we'll make that happen. It's a good thing. Use your gifts. Let me close that one by saying this. Our ministry is not the same without you. I hope we give thanks for your labor. We should. But whether here at church or away, never do what you do for thanks. Do it because of the mercies of God. Verse 7. If service, use it in our serving. Verse 7. The one who teaches in his teaching. What is the gift of teaching? Very quickly. The gift of teaching is the ability to interpret. So they're reading their Bible, right? It's the ability to interpret. And by that I mean correctly interpret. Rightly divide is the way the King James words it. To interpret, organize, and explain God's truth in a way that is understandable. It's the ability to interpret. Okay, they're reading and like, you know what? Maybe take me a while, but eventually they can un- untangle. This stuff's heavy and it's spiritual and we're of the earth and these are God's words and we have human minds. But not only is the ability to interpret and then to organize, not just running commentary, but kind of organize the thought, this goes there, which one of these, oh, that should go there. And they literally think through these things and then to actually explain it in such a way that the Word of God, which is spiritual and way over our head, all of a sudden is understanding. I kind of get that now. I've heard people before teach that I honestly think their goal is to make the Word of God more, com- more complicated. I've heard some. Almost as if to take pride and, boy, how, uh, that guy's so smart. Yeah, what'd they say? I don't know. That's why I apparently think they're so smart. That is not the gift. This gift wants to take that which can be lofty and make it down. I get it now. I know what that says. I know what to do. It's extremely important. It's not only the skill, the ability that is God-given. Watch this. It's the willingness to put in the time. I'm going to tell you my experience. Preparing to teach takes a good bit longer than preparing to preach. Preparing to teach takes more time, but the person with the gift of teaching is willing to do that because it matters to them. You're sitting, as I said last week, you're thinking, got it, move on, we got that one. And they're thinking, no, 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 there's another layer. You need to know this. And so they dig and they dig. You say, so is it basically the same thing as preaching? I'm going to offer my opinion. Teaching takes more time than preaching. Teaching and preaching cover a lot of the same content. But if I could word it this way, preaching, prophesying, goes farther. Teaching probably goes deeper. Preaching goes farther. If I could clarify, watch. Say, what's the difference? Preaching preaches for a verdict. Personal application. Here's what the Bible says. What are you going to do with it? Do something with this. Whereas the teacher is thinking more deeper. And they may not be as passionate about what you're going to They're Almost content that you know. But the, but the one with prophecy is like, that's okay, I'm going to borrow your stuff. Thanks for teaching. Now I've got to get people doing it. Personal application. Why? Christian truths, write this sentence down in your notes. Christian truths need to be proclaimed, preached, declared. But Christian truths also need to be explained. They need to be explained. What does that mean? 
So before we tell somebody, hey, pray this prayer. Hey, you need to pray this prayer. You want to go to heaven, right? Pray this prayer after me. The person with the gift of teaching says, no, 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 don't do that. They're going to have a false assurance. They're going to pray a prayer because you kind of have a big personality and you're kind of, you know, a little bit bossy and, and you're, you're dynamic and they're going to say those things but they don't even know what they're doing. The person with teaching is going to say, we need to explain. Wednesday night, we talked about three things that make up saving faith. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. This is not a salvation message but if somebody's sitting here, you're not on your way to heaven, the next 60 seconds, you could pull this out and if you were to respond correctly to it and receive what God has for you, you could take a message that is not about salvation, put it into your life, and you will walk out of here on your way to heaven. Wednesday night, we talked about how saving faith, you say it's simple faith, right? You just have to have faith like a child. Saving faith has three parts. It is understanding some facts. It is agreeing with God, a conversation. God, I agree with you about the facts. But ultimately, it is trusting God's promises, resting in it each part. You have to have teaching what are these facts i'm a sinner god is holy i can't go to heaven with my sin it gets worse god's justice means he has to punish my sin but here's the third fact god loves me so much he sent his son to die on a cross in an attempt for me to be able to go live in heaven he made jesus pay for my sin jesus took away my sin now i can go to heaven and then the fourth thing about god god gives away salvation for free if you'll ask him he'll give it to you for free those are the facts that's the teaching Ultimately, you have to trust or you have to agree with God. God, I agree I'm a sinner. I agree Jesus is your son. I agree his death on the cross is enough. And am I saved yet? No. Ultimately, you have to trust. And the person that's got that gift of prophecy is probably going to push you. Like Now, now put your trust in Christ. You, you got the facts now. Agree with God. Trust Jesus and stop trusting yourself. Use it. If your gift is teaching. We've got about probably 30-some people every week. Well... No, in about a five or six week period who teach in one way or another. And I'm not saying that all those people have a gift of teaching, but can I throw this out just before we move on? If you're asked to teach, it may be the scariest thing to you, but you may just find it's the most fulfilling thing you've ever done. You get in there and you're like, well, I just got this little 10-minute devotion. And you just keep going and going and going, and all of a sudden you're lost in it. And as I talked to someone recently, their spouse is like, are you still working on that? <laughs> yeah, it's getting bigger and bigger. This matters. It might be the very thing that fulfills you. Number four, exhortation. Let's talk about it. If your gift is exhortation, use it in your exhortation. Once again, I'm going to say this. Everybody needs to be an exhorter. Everybody needs to be an exhorter. Some people have a gift. What is the gift? To be an exhorter, the very word itself, means to come alongside someone as like the Holy Spirit who is the comforter. The Holy Spirit comes along beside of us. In fact, he, he comes inside of us and he's our comforter. He exhorts us. A speaker, preacher, teacher may have portions in their sermon that are full of exhortation. Listen, if, if this is your gift, exhortation, you may write letters of exhortation. Literally, you're writing letters, sending emails that are full of exhortation. But more times than not, not always, it could be to a small group, it could be to a large group. You're an exhorter, that's what you do. But I'm going to propose to you more times than not, this gift is used one-on-one. I think they're kind of the spiritual equivalent of the personal trainer over here at Gold's Gym. You know what the personal trainer does, right? He inspires you. He instructs you. 
He advises you. He encourages you. And he gets in your face. You say, that's what somebody is, that's a Christian with the gift of exhortation. They're going to instruct. All right, here's instruction. And advise, okay, I wouldn't. No, here's what you need to. And they're going to you come back and you haven't done it. And they're meeting with you. And you haven't done it. Well, they're going to encourage you. Okay, well, listen. Between now and next time, won't you do this and this? Okay. And if you keep not doing it, not doing it, eventually they're not just going to be nice. And hey, I like hanging out. And I've got nothing better to do with my life than just waste time with you. So let's just get together. No, they're not going to do that. They're going to get in your face. They're going to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Why? Because I've tried the nice way. We're not meeting again unless you do this and this. What? Yeah, I got better things to do. I want to work with the workable, and you better get your act together. But I've had, I understand, you were dealt a tough hand there. But get up, move on. Here's what you got to do. You're like, people would really do that? You need people to do that. I do too. Some of you are sitting there like, I think that's me. <laughs> am I mean, honey? Am I mean like that? Well, you are kind of like, well, just saying. This is a good thing. I've shared before, about a year and a half ago, my ball team. By the way, if you want to write it down, this is the person, the man or the woman, who's gifted with a special ability to inspire you. You want to live for Jesus. You want to live for Jesus. And they're a big part of you wanting to live for Jesus. Yes, they instruct, they encourage, they advise, and they will reprove and rebuke. They may not get along so well with the person who does acts of mercy, just saying they've got to have an understanding. They're very different. Why are you so hard on them? They've got it tough. Well, okay, you go do what you do and let me do. Okay, God's got a plan. I remember when I was coaching basketball, I had a drill that we did almost every day called zigzag. I've shared this before. I'll give you the short version. Picture a basketball court. It's full court. It's wide open. There's no guys. There's no girls on there. It's just the guys' team. I usually have 12 players on my team. I put them in groups of two spread out around the court. court. One player has a ball. He's dribbling. Okay, he's doing the ball handling portion. He's working on his ball handling. The other person is working on their defense, and they're supposed to know what to do. And so as I blow the whistle, they're supposed to zigzag up and down the court, and we'll do this two to three minutes. Here's what I found. The group I was closest to instructing and advising and encouraging, come on, and reproving and rebuking, they worked real hard. The other five groups, if they noticed I was working with a group, they kind of stand up tall, take a little break. Just kind of, hey, he's not looking. Let's just take it easy because this thing's no fun, man. I'm getting tired. You too. Yeah, me too. Oh, he's looking at us. All right, let's get real. And they act like they're all ready to go. And the ones that's, you know, so I, I see you over there. Let's go. Let's move, 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 move. Come on. Move your feet. Spin dribble. And they start working real hard because I'm looking at them. That's exhortation. Verse number eight. The one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity. Is this you? Is this gift you? You say, what is this contributing? It's giving. Hear me. Every Christian should be a giver. Every Christian. For grace for you to be what it should be, every Christian should be a giver. But some have a gift. Some of you, this is your gift. Say, so what is it? Contributing or the gift of giving is the sacrificial sharing of one's resources to edify the body of Christ. Some of you may be like, that's not my primary gift, but I have a portion of that. That is in me. It's not my main thing. You've already described me more fully, but from time to time I see this in my life. Again, what is it? 
It's the sacrificial sharing of one's resources to edify the body of Christ, to build up the body of Christ. With it, watch, it often includes the skills to accumulate the resources. Doesn't mean they have to be rich or wealthy, but they're really good at managing what they have. It almost seems like they always have resources. Don't have to be wealthy. Sometimes they might be wealthy. You say, is this money? Often it is money, but it's not just money. Watch. It may be you have the say or the sway over a possession and how it is used. And the Lord lays it on your heart. And so you're a giver with that. I I know someone who just hasn't even happened yet, but they have a group. Their church has a group of nine or ten people going to on a mission trip, college students, heading to San Francisco in what's called the Tenderloin District. And they had sky miles built up. They totally depleted their sky miles to buy 10 tickets worth four or $500 each so that each one of those people don't have to worry about raising money for sky miles. They've depleted. And now what will they do? They'll start using them again so that they can send people to South America on a mission trip. That's just what they do. I have exactly zero sky miles. This person builds them up and releases them to edify the body of Christ. Do, if that's your gift, Paul says, do it with generosity. The idea is simplicity, with liberality. So what does that mean, Jeff? If your gift is contributing, it means to give, watch, for the sheer pleasure of giving. No ulterior motive, no strings, no conditions attached. MacArthur says of this group, quote, The Christian who gives, and some of you are like, this is me, listen. The Christian who gives with liberality gives of himself, not for himself. He does not give for thanks or recognition, but for the sake of the one who who receives his help and for the glory of the Lord. Not for me, I want to help you for God's glory, unquote. If this is you, I'm going to quickly say three things. If this is you, you think, I I think this might be me. Can I say three things, three words of advice, three action steps? If you're blessed with this gift, number one, learn to discern God's voice. God's voice. You're already pretty good at this. You're not easily manipulated, but be sure that you're in tune with God's voice. Every time Jeff gets up and says there's a need, doesn't automatically mean you have to give to it. But you may be one that gives to it. Learn, God, what are you talking to me? Number two, give exactly what God says to you. And number three, think of it as a privilege. Literally see yourself, God, money, resources are a blessing, but they're also a test. And you've blessed me with this, and I'm accountable for this. I'm just a steward of your resources. And so, Lord, is that for me? Is that for me to give? Not that, this one? Guys, it may be at Grace View. It may not be at Grace View. Okay? It may be both. It probably will. Those of you who had this gift, you have multiple irons in the fire and you've got your ear to the ground almost all the time listening. Why? Because this is your gift. You're like, God, I want to be found to be a faithful steward of your resources. Number six, leading. Verse number eight, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes to do it with generosity, the one who leads with zeal. I'm going to touch this one quickly because in a few weeks we're going to look at leading in chapter 13, the government. I will use it probably as an opportunity to talk about leadership in the church. The Bible's clear about leadership in the home and leadership in the workplace. The Bible's clear. So what about the church, Jeff? I'm so glad that Grace View has this right because many churches 
in South Carolina, Anderson, in South Carolina, don't get this right. The Bible is clear that church leadership is in the hands of the elders. It's not the deacons. Many churches miss that. I'm glad we don't. You say, are they the only ones? Watch. Others are given and entrusted with leadership underneath the elders as an extension of the elders. Why? Because they have gifts and abilities and passions in certain areas. Wise elders are like, we don't want to be over all those things. Turn them loose. That's their area. They're good at it. They're gifted. You say, what does it look like? By the way, like elders, people that have the gift of leadership are not to be dictators. They're not to ramrod people. Went to a viewing of a man yesterday named Keith Scott, a gentleman in the Lord. Just a tremendous, he got a lot of things done in his life and I told his wife he never power played people. Loved Keith Scott. Thankful. He, so proud of him. He's with the Lord right now. Paul says, do what you do with zeal. What is this? Ability. Write it down. It's the ability. Here's a key. They see what needs done. They see it. I, I, I'm missing a word if you want to add it out to the side. They not only see what needs done, they know how to get there and they inspire people and they organize people and they mobilize people to get the job done. That's the gift of leader. Like, I, I, there's some, this has got to be done. And I, I know how to do it. I, I'm supposed to be. And so you see it. You know how to get from here to there. You inspire people. Hey, we need to do this, that, and the other. And all of a sudden, people are mobilizing and organizing. And all of a sudden, the job's getting done. You're working, but you're also leading. You're not doing it all by yourself, but you're leading a group of people. Do it with diligence. Do it with zeal. Why? Because everybody's in your ship or in your car, and you're at the wheel. Last one. The one who does acts of mercy is our seventh gift. Do it with cheerfulness. What is this? Acts of mercy speaks of, I think, two main things. Watch. Sympathy. Well, more than two. Sympathy and sensitivity to those who are suffering and in sorrow. Is this you? Somebody sitting here, this is you. It is not just sympathy. It's, sim- it's, it's sensitivity. Literally, this person notices what goes unnoticed by everybody else. Watch, it's this. Hey, how you doing today? Good, good. Sunday school going around. Hey, everybody, how's everybody's week going? Pretty good, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And we're all thinking, well, they said they're doing fine. This person, oh, no, no. They saw your expression. They heard your tone. They heard what you said. Maybe more importantly, they heard what you didn't say. They've heard you say the same thing. Everybody else assumes you're doing great. This person sends you an email. They send you a text. They catch you, pull you over to the side. They give you a phone call. You say, so they're nosy. No, they're not nosy. Listen, they care. Their radar went up. You're hurting. Something's wrong. They want to help. They're sitting in the room right now. They want to help. They want to do something. MacArthur writes the following. He says, this gift involves much more than sympathetic feeling. It's a feeling put into action. The Christian with this gift always finds a way to express his feelings of concern in practical help, unquote. Can I, here's, here's a clue. When somebody's grieving, they kinda, they're found there. Somebody in the hospital, they just kind of migrate to the hurting people in the hospital. Someone in the nursing home. By the way, here's your clue. They may ask about making you a meal. They really mean it. They may not wait on you to say yes. They might say, hey, can I at least mow your grass? Look up till you get They might not even ask you. You may say, hey, go over there and mow my grass. Wait, man, it's already done. 
dude, like this guy came by and he went way out. He said, I think he's from your church or something. What? Who's that? Like, yeah, he's been doing it for like three weeks now. Why? Because they want to help. They want to do something. This is an awesome gift. They're drawn to the poor. They're drawn to the homeless. They see this. And their attitude is like, we've got to get something for them. And we need to take action. They need food. They need clothing. And they start rallying people. Like, can't y'all see? They need like toothbrushes and toothpaste and mouthwash and diapers. And come on, we've got to get them some blankets and shoes. And who's with me? And next thing you know, like, well, I guess I'll get in. Why? Because they're, they're driven by this. We've got to do something. Do it with cheer. Do it with cheer. If you don't do it with cheerfulness, the person may be offended or belittled. Humiliated. But most of you do it with cheerfulness. Where the rest of us muck it up, you just jump in and people really feel helped and they're blessed. In a moment, I'll pray and we're just going to dismiss. There'll be no song at the end. But I want you to hear me before we pray. All seven gifts that we've just studied have to do with vision. Vision. Watch. If you're a Christian, you have one of these. You see something. You see a need. It may be a word. Please hear this. You're like, there's a truth. It needs declared and people need to make their lives line up with that. Or there's this truth and it needs to be taught. Or there's this truth and people need to be exhorted, maybe even in a private manner. Or there's this cause and they're going to lead, right? So it may be a word or it may be an action. There's a financial need. I need to give to that. There's an activity over here. This service needs to be done. This act of mercy needs to be done. What is your gift? As we went over that, what spoke to you? Wearsby writes the following. Spiritual gifts are tools to build with, not toys to play with or weapons to fight with. So whether it's speaking a truth or a task to be done or a physical or a financial or even an emotional need, when you see it, your area or areas, do you act on it? Be active in the use of your gifts. We are one body in Christ. Every part of the body has a function. You have a function in the body of Christ. Do you know what it is? Say, I'm still not sure. Get busy serving. And along the way, look for those two factors. Fulfillment, fruitfulness. Fulfillment, fruitfulness. God, I think that's where you really want me to spend the majority, not exclusive, but the majority of my time. Would you bow your heads just for a moment?